welcome. It's another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hamer, a retired portfolio manager. That means he worked after people's money, friends. And I'm Gord Whitehead, longtime associate of Ron. We've known each other for, well, I guess about four decades now and both have a passion about investing. Obviously, he did because he made his living at it. And I've always been fascinated with how that stuff works. And I remember when I first heard about REITs, it's a long time. How long have REITs been around, Ron? REITs have been around as far as is uh, I can relect, uh, recollect. I started in the seven. I started in the early '80s, and they were around. I think they started in the '60s or '70s. They've been around as an investment class for a long time. Yeah, I didn't hear about them, and I, I think until probably the early '80s. And I thought, well, oh, that's an interesting thing. That's for anybody who doesn't know, real estate investment trust is what REIT means, correct? Yeah, and they're really structured so that they pay out their profits and income. And uh, most of the profits end up being taxed in the hands of the uh, unit holder rather than the company itself. So typically because they're structured like that, uh, the yields tend to be higher. And often people look to REITs as an investment class that they can get some capital gains, but also uh, significant amounts of income. And that comes in handy, especially if you're retired or need extra cash flow off your portfolio. But I would think just as an interested observer, Ron, with uh, what's gone on the last year, year and a half with the pandemic, REITs have taken a little bit of a hit, have they not? There's, we're going to talk about uh, 11 different REIT sectors here as we go through the show. And some of them have done well, and some of them have been beaten with a club. Yeah. To put it bluntly. So we'll go through sectors one at a time and take a look at them. And we'll talk about what they're uh, what they're doing right now and what the future prospects are and how to play them. So uh, if you're interested in REITs and you want an overview of uh, what to look at in each one of these sectors and certainly how to play them, uh, this is going to be a good show for you. Now, the first one on your list is retail malls and big box stores. And, and I can only speak anecdotally. Uh, you know, I've walked around our local mall here. Over the last little while, there's a lot of for lease signs in there, Ron. And the outlook for the sector is that as more and more of retail spending gets done online, that many of these shopping centers are going to have to close. And there's still, I mean, there, there's going to be survivors because people are still going to like to get out and shop. People still love to have a place that they can go, especially if it's cold or wet, to go out for an afternoon. I mean, we don't think about that right now in the pandemic, but some of the big names are, they're going to come back. And, but the retail malls and big box stores are really, really suffering. And so the outlook is that they're they're going to many of them are just not going to survive they're going to have to be repurposed for something else and frankly that is where some of the opportunities lie is right now this sector has been not been beaten up really badly but people forget is that a mall that is empty often it's surrounded by area where there is lots of uh, there's lots of homes, lots of people live. So malls are generally strategically located where people live and where there's a lot of activity. And so much of this space that is going to be repurposed 
I've seen, especially in the U.S., where I've gone and visited some of the sites. And typically what they put on the site is they leave partly the ground floor, but they'll put high rises up there. And especially people that are looking to have a community within a community. Uh, on the ground floor, they'll have retailers. So if the high rises, for example, will have retired uh, retired people in it that are not looking to travel much, there'll be a grocery store there. There'll be a place where you can get your hair cut. There'll be a place where you can get aesthetics like your nails done and things like that. And there'll be a whole bunch of different kinds of doctors and dentists because older people need about six times as much health care as young people do. So the the uh, retail area on the ground floor will be reconfigured to meet the needs of the community. So you don't really have to go far. Most of your daily needs can be met right on the ground retail floor. And I think that's where a lot of these retail malls are going. And the real estate they're sitting on is very valuable. And so a lot of them are only trading at a fraction of what the value of that real estate is. So it's worth looking through this sector and to watch to see how uh, the markets develop and this, these sectors develop over the next couple of years, because I think there's going to be some opportunities there. An example of a real estate investment trust that does have a lot of retail um, rental space is Rio Can Read, and that's R E I dot U N. Office buildings. Oh boy, this one's a bit of a loaded pistol as well. I mean, with the pandemic, a lot of people have been working from home, and you and you hear this all the time from friends of mine that worked in office towers downtown. The bosses are saying, "Hey, we got to take a look at our plan here. Maybe we can do this differently than we've done it for the past fifty or sixty years." I've seen some of the stats of the major. Uh, downtown office tower occupancy rates in some of the big cities in the U.S., and it's like 40 or 50 percent. And so the pandemic has forced uh, many employees to work from home. We know that. Employers are going to seize the opportunity to cut costs by continuing uh, to the the trend of, of allowing people to work from home. There's going to be some people coming back to office towers But I think the demand for office towers and that kind of space is going to be lower. And I think that it's there's it's going to take a number of years for office buildings once again to be refilled. And like we were talking about with retail malls and big box stores, I think the opportunity is for many of these buildings, uh, they're going to end up being repurposed. They'll end up being made into condos, seniors' residences, lots of other things you can do with them. And so I wouldn't be in a hurry unless you're a big believer that once the pandemic is over, everybody's going to charge back uh, to work in in these these uh, towers, especially the ones in the downtown cores. So an example of this would be allied properties. But, you know, my own feeling is that this is a sector that, I'm in no hurry to get in it at all. What about retirement homes? I mean, the population is aging. Uh, that's demographically proven. What about retirement home REITs? Well, the the extended care facilities are a low-margin <clears throat> business. And new regulations, especially being have been instituted because of COVID-19, and it has gotten a lot more expensive to to run these things. And certainly... They, they do throw off steady income, 
but you know with the new regulations coming in the in the future it's an area where certainly you can own it but it's certainly there's other re areas i like better their margins and, are going to get pinched aren't they oh the more government regulation you have uh, the lower your margins are going to be. And I think that makes it very difficult for an investor. I don't like a business where the government tells me how much money I can make. That makes it very difficult, and especially when you have an environment where there's health concerns. I mean, frankly, the government comes out with rules regarding uh, social distancing. They come out with rules as far as is as how many more times a day you're going to have to cleanse a facility means you're going to have to hire a lot more nurses. You're going to have to hire a lot more maintenance staff. Uh, you're going to have to just have a lot more uh, chemicals and, and uh, equipment to, to clean and do things. Uh, you're not going to be able to put people as close together. So um, you're, you're going to have to reduce your margins. So instead of having one, one meal in an evening, maybe you have two. Uh, to keep the social distancing, all this costs money. So uh, here again, I think the, demog the, the demographic wins, I like the demographic wins because as more and more people are going to have to look at retirement homes. But right now, uh, with all the new regulations, I want to see how this uh, filters through to the bottom line before I got really enthusiastic about owning this particular sector. What about apartment rentals? We've talked about that, that, you know, not, not everybody could afford to buy a home. We know that. So the rental market has done pretty well of late. Well, apartment rentals, uh, the, the, the two sectors uh, of the REIT universe that I have owned over, over the last 30 years and the highest concentration of my exposure to the REIT market has been apartment rentals. And the area is being hit by tenants not being able to pay uh, their rent due to lack of income. But I think that's going to change here as people go back to work. Um, many analysts expect rental income to drop as landlords are forced to adjust their rates to keep tenants. But uh, frankly, I don't know if that's coming to pass because just about everywhere I look, rental revenue is going up. So, you know, I'd use any pullbacks to buy on weakness. Because with the gig economy, many people, they're not living in one area that long. I heard a statistic that just totally blew me away, Gord. And that is since the beginning of the pandemic, I think 8 or 9% of the U.S. population has moved. Really? I mean, we're, we're talking 15 months, and that's a massive amount of people moving from one place to another. It's 27 so, million people. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of that's a lot of people that have moved in the last 15 months and of course they're not going to be buying something cuz to buy something when you pay for the real estate costs and the, all the appraisals and everything else that you have to to put in it's just not worthwhile buying a house generally unless you're going to live there 5 years and with the gig economy with people moving around all over the place or they're worried about living in one area so they're moving to another that has less covid um I think the population is going to be on the move for quite a while. And because of that, I think that uh, rental space is going to be in demand. And so out of all the uh, REIT sectors right now, uh, this has to be one of my favorite. And you like Canadian apartment properties, right? 
Well, Canadian apartment properties is, is an example, and it's the, the biggest REIT in uh, Canada. So it's one that individuals can look at. There's others in the sector. And of course, you want to get an exposure to this. Canadian apartment rentals is just one way. But if you go and Google uh, Canadian apartment REITs, you come up with a list of about seven or eight of them. There's uh, Killam and and uh, Northern, well, there was Northern Properties. Uh, and so, you know, there's a, a long list of, of REITs that, that you can certainly look at. Um, and uh, Canadian Apartment uh, Properties is just the big guy on the block. On the other side of this, uh, where we live in structures, what about house rentals? Now, with house rentals, the, the outlook of homes versus apartment, I think homes have a number of catalysts. The first one is millennials after literally uh, starting homes way, way later than their parents like us did. I don't know about you, but I think I bought my first home at the age of 23, 24. When did you buy your first home, Gord? Uh, Well, when I came to Edmonton, so I was 27. Well, you take a look at, at millennials. They're starting home formation in their late 30s. So they started a lot later than we did, but it looks like they are starting to uh, uh, look at, at settling down. But because they're moving and they want to work from home, well, working from home in a condo usually is pretty tight. Uh, home gives you a lot more room. Also, if you live in an urban environment, it's uh, much more conducive to the spread of infection. So if you want to have kids and you want to be near schools, um, you know, uh, uh, suburbia is the place to raise a family and you're, you're seeing people that they might change jobs every few years, but they do want to get away from the, the 50 story, uh, condo, condo downtown living, especially with those dense environments being such a hotbed for, for COVID. A good example of a company that buys homes and then rents them out to people is a company company called Tricon. That's T-R-I-C-O-N. And the symbol is TCN. They're a Canadian company. They got a good chunk of their assets in the U.S., in the Sun Belt in the U.S. And uh, this is one company also that uh, I personally own. Okay, so what about healthcare facilities, Ron? We want to differentiate this from retirement homes. We're talking about healthcare facilities, right? Typically, Facilities like this will have, there'll be buildings that have a lot of healthcare professionals in it, radiologists, doctors, uh, medical specialists, dentists, you know, people that will. Imaging and, and the rest of it, right? Yeah. 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 All the imaging and, and, and so on. So these healthcare facilities, a lot of them are, are medical professionals like to group themselves together because frankly, if you're in a doctor's office, you need an x-ray, you go down the hall. If you're in a dentist's office and you need a work done on your dentures, you can go, you can get that done down the hall. So they like grouping themselves together for efficiency reasons. And also if um, you look at doctors and dentist's office, you know, in all the years I've gone to, I've had two dentists in my whole life. And I went to the first dentist until he retired. And then I moved to a second dentist 25 years ago and he's still in the same office he went to the doctor I have, has been in the same office for 25, 30 years. Uh, the one advantage is that 
once you get a doctor that's a tenant, they're sticky. They don't move. Yeah. Yeah. They stay there forever. I'm sure your doctor and dentist have been pretty much in the same place forever. Exactly. They they build their, if you want to say client base, but their patient base. And yeah, that's that's where they work. So they don't tend to move around a lot. They're not migratory like other professionals, oh, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. So healthcare facilities, the thing is, they have very low vacancy because once you get someone in there, it's just too big a pain to move. So I like the I like the sector over the the long term and medical properties trust MPW in the U.S. is a good example of a healthcare facility. What about industrial REITs, Ron? I, I'm trying to get my head around what that might look like. Well, industrial REITs are if if you have a manufacturing facility, so you want to turn out car parts, but you don't want to own the building. Well, I'll own the building and lease it out to you. Oh, okay. Also. Yeah. The big growth in the sector, frankly, has come from warehouse space. As more and more of our retail goes online, of course, you need infrastructure to be able to store all the goods that are moving around. So warehouse space has become really, really critical. And this is a sector that I, that I like. I, I see a lot of growth in it. It's a, a sector that I would look at buying on weakness. Uh, but I would avoid companies here that have a big concentration uh, in energy or some of the traditional really high polluting facilities. Uh, you want to stay away from that. And so a couple of good examples, one in Canada is Granite REIT. Uh, they're doing a lot in, in warehouses, grt.un. And in the U.S., a good example is Americold Realty Trust. They build cold storage facilities all over the place. So if you want to get steaks delivered to your home, well, they need to be refrigerated or they're going to be green by the time they get to your house. And so that is a specialty REIT that um, has, you've got to have cold infrastructure and you've got to be able to move things in cold storage to get them to your door um, fresh. And so Americold is, is a really interesting little niche REIT. So it's another example there of, of that particular sector. And that, that sector, I think, will continue to grow. And that symbol is cold, C-O-L-D dot U-S. Farm, farmland REITs. I, I, I recall hearing, I met some guys on a trip when I was down in the States a few years ago. They were farmers from, uh, from Iowa. And they were talking about this, and it was the first I'd ever heard of it. You know, like somebody owns the land and somebody leases it to work it. Is that basically what it comes down to? That is exactly how it works. And, of course, if you take a look at some of the smart smart money, like uh, Bill Gates, Bill Gates is the largest owner of farmland in the, in the U.S. I think he has two and a half million acres of land. Uh Jeff Bezos, um, and I think it's more of a speculation on urban development, but I think he owns close to 4 million acres of, of, of land outside of major metropolitan areas, a lot of that in Texas. And, of course, you've got Ted Turner, the, the, the huge media mogul, and he's got, he's got huge land positions, especially where he raises buffalo. In, in Montana and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, Montana and Idaho. And I think he's the biggest private landowner, one of the biggest private landowners in the U.S. So the smart money, these guys that are multi-billionaires, they've been buying farm and ranch land 
and to diversify their assets. So an example of this is Farmland Partners, FPI, in they're a U.S.-based REIT, and they go out and look for farms, and they try to buy farms in sectors where they think that the profitability could be really good, especially right now, the demand for nuts, almonds, cashews, uh, tree nuts especially is is through the roof. You go to the store and you buy or try to buy a bag of nuts. It's really expensive. Or, or frankly, avocados go to the store. They're five bucks each. Mm. So it's, if you can find a REIT that is especially looking for areas where there's really high margins in the, the product that they're producing, those are the ones that you're going to do the best with. Timber REITs. Boy, with the cost of lumber these days, this might not be a bad sector to look at. <laughs> no, the, the, you know, the average cost of a, of a house just due to the lumber prices has increased by about $20,000. And so uh, this is a sector certainly to look at. The, the, the problem is that the sector's had a big run. I mean, you can take a look at a stock like Weyerhaeuser. It's about where it was. In the, in the 1980s. So when markets are good, it goes up. When the housing market dies, it, it crashes. So if you're looking at timber REITs, what you want to do with timber REITs is you want to trade them. They're generally not the buy and, and uh, hold type stocks. So they follow the construction cycle and the housing cycle. So when construction starts to pick up, demand for lumber increases, these things go up. And typically when housing starts fall through the floor, uh, these things often barely generate enough cash flow to even survive. So they're trading stocks only. A couple examples would be Acadian Timber, ADN, the Canadian company. And in the U.S., uh, the big player down there is Weyerhaeuser, uh, WY, and it trades on New York. Hotel and motel REITs, I would think over the last year or so, I have, have a good friend whose wife is employed in that hospitality and she hasn't been working. Uh, they've taken a real blow to the chin. But now as things are slowly starting to open, especially south of the border, would that be an area you might want to look at, hotel and motel REITs? Yeah, I think that you can take a close look at uh, these and and watch how the pandemic and some of the stay-at-home regulations start to loosen up. Uh, when it does, I think hotel and motel REITs could have a could have a real run. But, you know, is, are we going to have a third wave or a fourth wave? So I, I think that this sector is going to turn. It's just I frankly, I don't know quite when. Will it be this summer? If not, um, will it be next winter? You know, I'm 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 still a little hazy on exactly when that's going to happen. A couple of names that. Uh, are good examples of this sector is Service Properties Trust, SVC. They trade in the U.S. Also, American Hotel Income Properties, and that's hot.un, and they have properties on both sides of the border. And the final one we want to talk about is digital infrastructure, and boy, has that been growing. I mean, one of them is cell towers. Like, there's cell towers, it seems, like every 30 feet now, right? And they're disguising them and putting them on top of buildings and building them freestanding. So is that an example of that area? That's absolutely an example of that area, including, uh, and you can also look at computer data centers and communication networks. 
And the, experience, the sector is experiencing incredible growth as the world adds infrastructure to handle the transition, especially to 5G. So many of these um, towers, uh, there's two big names, American Tower or Crown Castle are two good examples. I think there's four big publicly traded companies that do it, and these are the two of the bigger examples. But they're growing like weeds because they're not only growing in North America, they're also growing in Europe, they're growing in India. You look at the number of cell towers that are being added in India. You look at the cell towers that are being added in Africa and in South America. It is truly amazing. The only problem with this sector is, for example, a company like Crown Castle. Well, Crown Castle has most of the good news built in. It's trading at around, I think, 90 times this year's earnings, which is eye-poppingly expensive. Yeah. So, you know, the entire sector, I think, is a great sector. I see very high growth ahead of it over the next few years. But, you know, frankly, we just need a real good recession to weed out some of these overpriced stocks, make them come down to reality. And when they do, this is a, the digital infrastructure part of the REIT um, spectrum is definitely an area I'd look at because I see high growth ahead of it for years ahead. So there you go. If you're into REITs, some background knowledge on what you should be looking at, how to dissect it, different sectors to work in. And again, remember, if you have a question for the financial coach about this show or any other show we've done, make sure you get to us through letsmakemoney.ca or cfcw.com. And we will be happy to answer that question in upcoming episodes of Making Money. We'll join you again next week with a new boat of information. We're going to talk a little bit about advisors, financial advisors. Maybe it's time to get away and find a new one. We'll explore more next week with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.